And welcome to Gleaming in the Geek, the Spring is Here edition. I'm John Bonus, which is daily with me, Aaron Gleaming in the Geek. I'm here. And so is Spring, Aaron Gleaming. Yeah, but I'm. Just in time for Twins Baseball. Come on. Who's the headliner? Me or Spring? <laughs> you spr- spring. You see Spring every <laughs> let me, year. Let me be very clear. No, but you've seen Spring every year of your life, which is, as we've established, 84 years old. Yeah. And you've only known me for like 20, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I don't know what I'm going with. This. You know, sometimes you try something at the beginning of a show, you realize there's nothing to it. You throw it out, you go. You I on. choose still spring. Yeah, no, I don't. There's no comedy to be squeezed from this bit. Nope. Sometimes, sometimes that's all there is. I don't know. Look, it's a lot of shows, and uh, John just opens the same way every show, and I got to think of that's, something that's, to say. That's right. uh, we are uh, here. It is. What day is today? Monday morning. Monday morning. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, there's Yeti. It's, it's, it's a little weird because we've had so many day games. So, many, so yeah. often in April we've got day games and such. It does mess you up a little bit yeah, as to which day it is. Three three consecutive day games. Today will be the fourth, fourth consecutive day, day game. game. There's finally one night game yep. tomorrow, but then there's on another. Dollar, on Dollar Dog Day. I will be there for Dollar <laughs> okay. Dog Day. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, in the press box, every day is $1.50 dog yeah, day. Yeah, I know. Now, they're not the, the good hot dogs. Well, they're, they're not. The good the hot dogs for Dollar Dog oh, Day. Really? No. Yeah. Uh, bring back the Dome Dog. I used to love those. Uh, yeah, well, our hot dogs in the press box have just been on that roller yeah. for <laughs> decades since uh, the Garden Hire era, basically. But they're only $1.50. So. Holy Hall. <laughs> yeah. It was the last one yeah. to have one of those hot dogs. S- slap some ketchup and mustard on that thing and just hope it doesn't kill you. But, yeah, the, uh, the day games are weird. I also, I mean, from the perspective of covering it, it's weird because you're just waking up and heading over there it feels like right. and we've been yeah. kind of uh jamming in these podcasts in the morning <laughs> like i head from here over there yeah uh, for clubhouse access in like an hour and a half but we should mention the last time we, when we jammed in in the morning was a patreon we did we did a, a full hour and a half on the two and a half true. hour uh home opener uh we will probably be touching a little bit on the home opener as part of this overall series but if you want a deeper dive into that head over to patreon yeah join the patreon this is going to be a good year to be a, on patreon yeah as opposed yeah. to those last several years where it was just garbage <laughs> but this year we're going to be good no but also i think um the day game, I mean, I've talked to a couple of players about this actually yesterday, and even Baldelli talked about it a little. There's, I know people don't like to hear uh, about shadows and cold temperatures favoring hit pitchers and all that mm-hmm. stuff, but there is a sort of, can we get a night game here feeling, I think, among this team. Because even a lot of the road games that they've played so far were on the, I mean, the openers. Well, there's a cadence. To the baseball well, that season too, yeah. that everybody kind of falls into. And that cadence mostly involves night games, right? right? I mean, most players who have played for a long period of time, whether it's in the minors or the majors or whatever, are used to night games. And the way it works is, you know, you've got your daily schedule and everybody's kind of waiting for that to actually kick into gear. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that's the same thing with beat reporters, to be sure. honest with you. And just no one cares about art. But <laughs> right. I also think there's just a physical component of it is just like, it's just different playing in the afternoon constantly. The weather's different. You know the uh, the sun is different. They had a. I mean, when you start a game at three, which was tends to be opening day, including here, right? Uh, the home opener. Yep. You know, five fifteen rolls around, and the plate is covered by a shadow. Right. And 
we saw Martin Maldonado, who's a gold glove caliber catcher. Right. He's literally only in the majors because he's a great catcher because he right. sure as hell can't hit. Right. He, he he's proof that. had trouble just yeah. catching high fastballs because he couldn't see the ball. Right. Um, and a couple of players talked about that in, in some of these sort of twilight situations. And it's like, well, you look at the numbers, and it's like, well, the power hasn't really been consistent from the Twins. And their pitching has been really good. Right. But there's like, well, these are kind of tied together. I mean, there's the cold right. weather. There's the shadows. There's these sort of, you know, wake up and go to the ballpark. Here we go. Well, like Kyle, Kyle Farmer said that his game when he hit, he couldn't even really see where yes, it went, right? <laughs> the one, uh, the bases loaded up the middle, the kind of uh, 18 hopper up the middle right. that was the walk-off in the 10th inning against the Astros early in the series. And then afterward, he said, well, I knew I hit it up the middle. But I went to look where it was, and it was completely covered by shadows, and I just thought, well, I'll just run to first either way, I guess. Uh, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, so, yeah, it's a it's a weird situation. I think it often happens you know, early in the season, especially if you start on the road. That tends to mean you're going to have multiple opening day scenarios. Right. Like you're going to yes, right. have a couple of one or two road openers yep. for those teams, which right. are often at – Two o'clock, three o'clock, right? And then you're going to come back home and have it. So I don't know. I think, I think there might also be something to the fact that you know, early in the season and late in the season, the sun angle is just a little bit different than it is the rest of the year. Like yeah. the sun is still kind of low in the sky here, and I think that plays with the shadows a little bit more in you know early April and late September than it does you know during June or July for day games. So, yeah, and for right. beat writers, it's much harder to. <laughs> Get no, com- beat writers, it's Pete, the, completely the sun is the danger. Like, plastered July <laughs> at night and then show up at 9.45 well, next morning. And that that's a true. key consideration <laughs> for many of our local and national beat writers. Uh, but the Twins took two out of three from the defending champs. And, you know, I don't think the Astros are quite uh, firing on all cylinders at the moment. Altuve's yeah, out. Absolutely. Michael Brantley's out. They lost Justin Verlander, obviously, this offseason to free agency. But... I mean, this lineup is still four or five deep I mean, in, in all stars. I think we both picked them for the over at 94 and a half sure or something did, like yeah. 95 and a half. I think I've picked them for the over every year for like their, the past eight their, years. Their over number was insanely high. Yeah. I remember that because I almost didn't choose them because it was just that high. I would still, I wouldn't take that, but I would take like 92 now as the <laughs> over. Uh, but also, the Twins have not, they went 0 6 against the Astros last season. And in 2020, they were swept out of the playoffs at home by the Astros. That was only two games. And then, like, even going back prior to that. 2019, I remember, was a disaster. Some good, yeah, right. Some otherwise very good Twins teams got just absolutely spanked by the Astros. If the series you're thinking of is the one I'm thinking of. I think it it was here, and it was like 27 to 3 or something like that in three games or whatever it was. was. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, Last year, they got outscored 21 to 3. Okay. At home. Yeah. In May. Versus the Astros, right? Because right? it's not; it hasn't just been that they have been swept. It's that the games were not even well, close. That's what to the Astros do to people is like, right? You lose to them, yes, they're going to win a hundred games every year. But they, uh, yeah, when it when it starts to go bad for teams against the Astros, you don't lose like three one; you lose like eleven one. I remember last year the Dodgers and the Astros just came in and yeah, just asserted dominance immediately, yeah. right? And it was nice to see a, – and when we took a look at this series, when I took a look at this series, I should say, before the before the season began, I said, 
Well, the Twins don't face their first real test until their fourth series. Yeah, because they're too good <laughs> yeah, to yeah, be a yeah, test. That's right. Kansas City's not going to be a, a, a test. Miami's not going to be a test. Right, it, Houston's not going to be a test. They're too good to it, begin with. It's like right? if, if you yeah. had a kid and you're like, uh, you know, they're in the whatever grades learned in multiplication tables. What's that? Fourth grade? <laughs> fifth grade or something like that? Earlier? Later? Second grade? Okay. Well, that says a lot about me. Maybe third grade? I don't, I don't know. know. You're speaking to a, what, 1994? Four state champion from Math Masters in Minnesota. So I learned those multiplication. But my point is, that was just an opportunity for Bra- to brag exactly. about something yeah, I won right. 30 tell years ago. Your, uh, yeah. Tell us about your uh, Jewish League basketball career, too. Well, that was several years <laughs> later, John. Uh, and then uh, after that, I dropped out of college. So you see how things go. Uh, but my point is, like these opening series were like if you had a eight-year-old and you're teaching them the, <laughs> right. the multiplication tables, and then the Astros coming to town is like, uh, advanced calculus <laughs> and you're like yeah that is a test in the sense that they're not going to be able to do it right <laughs> but it's, to your point it's not really a test because what does that prove about an eight-year-old right. yeah well what we kind of saw is the eight-year-old at least got the idea of slope and differentials yeah. and integration sure, i couldn't yeah. even think of a thing in there i was like what's the term from that i don't know i didn't even get that far in college uh but yeah i mean it's obviously a good sign the astros are a little bit more vulnerable now than they have been and may be, which is good. I mean, the Twins play them again pretty quickly here, I think before the end of May, and then they're yeah, just done with right. them. Yeah. Same thing with the Yankees. They have a series right. now. So at, now, as of, uh, what, four hours from now. I was going to say, they faced two of the, the probably the two toughest teams real early in the American League, but I'm not sure that either of those two are the toughest team right now in the American League, Wait, given, given what the Rays are doing. Yeah, true. <laughs> Although the Rays have played... Oakland, Detroit, and someone else crappy. Okay, all right. Pittsburgh, maybe? Yeah, but they Not beat the, them all by four-plus yes, runs. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they're now welcoming the White Sox to town, and they're getting the White Sox top three starters, including Dylan Cease in game yeah, one, who's yeah. a Cy Young caliber guy, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito. And then right after that, they go to New York, which is a house of horrors always for the Twins. They're going to get uh, – Nestor Cortez, who was an all-star last year, and then I think the last game of that series, it's a four-game series against the Yankees, they're going to get uh, Garrett Cole, who's a former Cy Young winner. Right. And then after that, they go to Boston. And I'm not saying Boston is a powerhouse now, but this is a, a tough 10-game stretch. Yes, it is. And particularly, I think, and they're going to see Chris Sale in Boston, I think the schedule uh, lines up for. They're, gonna, they're seeing a lot of real high-end pitching, starting with the two Miami guys, you know, including the reigning Cy Young winner. Then you get to Houston, which always has high-end pitching, right. with or without Verlander, with or without Cole. They do it every year, even bullpen guys. Uh, and, you know, you're facing, you know, what, 15-game stretch, 10 all-star caliber starters, something like that, including some Cy Young winners. And, you know, you toss in the stuff we talked about with the weather and, you know, the, the early start times and stuff. It's not – I don't think it's, like, shocking that the lineup has been – it hasn't been horrible – I mean, they're not like dead last. They are, in any case. They are 12th been, out of 15th in the American right. League in runs. It's per just game. been right. similar to last year, real hit or miss. Like, yeah. they, they've had so many games where, oh, they scored nine runs, including in this series. Right. And then otherwise, it's one or two runs, zero runs, or whatever. They need some level of consistency towards four or five runs, particularly with this pitching staff. Now, the flip side of what I'm saying is their pitching staff probably. Uh, has yeah, is right. a little bit better than it actually has been. Looks a little bit better than it actually has been right. because of what we're saying. Although this Astros lineup, even without Altuve, I mean, we saw them. it's still Bregman and Alvarez and Jose Abreu who they added this offseason. So I don't know. I, I think 
it's a test. Like you said, it's not that vital of a test because well, they're going to be done with the Astros a month from now. Right. And then if you play them again, that's good news because that means you're, you're playing, playing in the, the playoffs. Right. But so I, I do think that the the White Sox are always a good test. Yep. It's also just a, a good rivalry. We we uh, me and Dan Hayes always fist fight the the White Sox beat reporters too <laughs> right before game one. Yeah, it's like uh, Anchorman. Yeah, it's just like that. Yep. <laughs> Doe comes in with a trident. It's really it's crazy to That's see. That's killed a guy. Yeah, <laughs> I like this as a bit a lot. I'm trying to think if we could actually beat up the White Sox beat. It it wouldn't be a real great fight just in high caliber of uh, fighting skills. But um, the the White Sox are test, and I think. You know, the Yankees are the Yankees a test. The Yankees are gonna be pretty good always. Right. And I just think it's always a, a barometer of not how good the twins are, but sort of like, is this a season worth kind of starting investing to dream in, on? Investing yeah, in because like if you emotionally to, investing in. Right. I don't I'm not sitting here and saying they're gonna win a three out of four in Yankee Stadium. Right. But if they win two out of four or even one and have three competitive losses, you can at least come out of that and go, you know, does that make the difference in this season? No, but it's at least you're saying, all right, weight class wise, we're probably in the right weight class. Yeah, that's right. Now we have to work our way up the rankings, but you know, and that's kind of how I saw the Astros series. I thought, I mean, Baldelli said this after the game yesterday, which they lost basically to Hunter Hunter Brown, right. who's a you know consensus top, I don't know, fifty prospect, really good young starting pitcher. And Baldelli said, you know, today's game was not good. He clearly was not impressed with the uh, caliber of at bats <laughs> no, against Brown not. or the approach. But <clears throat> right. what he said in general was I'm pretty pleased with how this series went overall. They didn't get the highest of high end pitching performances the last two games. Both starters allowed four runs. Right. But it was essentially, I mean, Joe Ryan's was literally one pitch, the grand slam to Alvarez. Yeah. Um, and then he Basically pitched. Basically, eight pitch little meltdown. Right. Or it, something it was like, like that, a right? two minute meltdown, but it cost them four right. runs. And then Maui gave up kind of a, I don't know, cheap opposite field home run. Well, I mean, yeah. And a couple of CNI singles. And, but otherwise, both of them, I thought, pitched reasonably well. Like but Ryan and Maui, right. they both went, yeah. I think, six plus innings. Uh, you know, if those are the bad starts out of the first two weeks of a season, right? You're in you're in pretty good Especially shape. Especially versus the Astros, right? I mean, six innings with four runs versus the Astros. Nobody's yes. nobody is uh, disappointed by that. Yeah, they have double right. digit strikeouts. And, and, and like you said, it felt to me in both situations like the Astros made the most of what they had. That the <clears throat> they had that that bases loaded situation and you know got a <laughs> he got a fastball down the middle <laughs> that. He yeah. took advantage of, and and by the way, it cleared the wall by, I don't know, three inches. Oh, the home so, run? Yeah, the home run. Slider. No, the... the, the uh, oh, Alvarez. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, talking Alvarez. about Al- Jordan That was Alvarez. a middle-middle... Riddle-middle yes. fastball. That was right? a terrible cleared, pitch right, right. to a, one of the five best hitters in the world. Right. And it uh, still it cleared, the, cleared the wall by like three seconds. Yes, it bounced they, off the top of that corner. It almost They almost avoided Joe Ryan, you're talking about. Almost avoided right. giving up a homer because he hit it too good. Right. It almost right. like went through the wall. Basically. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I would have liked to see that bounce off that limestone, see if it cracks it or <laughs> what. And then, yeah, the same thing happened yesterday, right? That he, Mal in general, felt pretty good about his slider all day. It's something that he's been working right. on. It's something he needs to work on. I wrote about this a little bit with Bart, with uh, Theo Tolson on the game recap yesterday at Twins Daily. Like, he had two problems last year. The big problem was his shoulder hurt, and, right. and he couldn't. He, but besides watching his velocity, 
It's important to watch how he does versus right-handers because he has he is a reverse splits guy. He has not done well versus right-handed hitters the last two years. In recent years, yeah, yeah, the last two years. Uh, and uh, that, that slider, he left one one really bad slider, and it got taken out of there. It was also, I think, just a fun series. I mean, obviously the wins were fun, but you know, you got the the Kyle Farmer walk off winner in the tenth, which is a very strange right. game just overall. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah, the Twins mustered a comeback and then just sort of let the Astros lose it in, right. or yeah. Yeah. in some right. ways, yeah. but took advantage and yeah. you know stayed in it, at least in a low-scoring Made, game. What, two wild pitches? One wild pitch, yeah. one pass ball, just something like very that. Very strange yeah, stuff right. yeah. going on in that game. Once the once the shadows started to come in, it got real weird. Right. Uh, and then, obviously, the you have a little bit of an offensive explosion, which is pretty rare against Houston, where you have Farmer again. And then Buxton each hit. Uh, I think they both had three run homers. Yeah. And Buxton's was funny because Buxton's changed it from a close game to a not close game, right? Which then caused uh, John Duran to sit down right. in the bullpen. He had been warming up to come in for the save. You bring in Giovanni Moran, who then gives up damage, and then you got to have Duran come warm in up again. to get one out. <clears throat> right. And Doe counted That's three pitches from the time the bullpen door opened in left center. To the time uh, the catcher came out to shake his hand right. for the save, it was, uh, I think, a minute, <laughs> like literally a minute. Um, and so, or maybe from the time he was warming up. But I mean, it was, and I also thought it was funny that he started when he comes in. At that point, it was a safe situation. I right. guess that was at the tying run. Yeah, it must yeah, it was the tying run, run at the yeah, plate. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's got, why. That's why Moran went. He'd already given up one right. home run. Yeah. It, it got serious all of a sudden. And it was very funny to me that it was against a rookie. I forget who it was batting, but Duran comes in, warms up. You know, everybody. Knows, they 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 play his video on the screen. Everybody's all hyped up. The game all of a sudden is very tense because a game you thought you had won right. ten minutes earlier is now. Uh oh, here we go again. And he starts him with the slow curveball, eighty seven. Right, and the kid's like, okay, and then he throws him <laughs> another one. And in my head, I'm thinking, throw him another one, because I love the idea of Duran coming in and saying it's not even worth using my fastball today. <laughs> I'm not even going to show you the 103. But instead, he threw the fastball and finished that bat one, two, three like that. But it, uh, it's a, I mean, obviously, that's a nice luxury to have to just be able to like, this is out of hand. This is silly. We're ending this now. I'm going to bring in the guy who's unhittable, but. That type of stuff does add up over the course of six months, which is if you do that like five times with Duran, right. it will affect his usage. Yes. For instance, yesterday it didn't come up because they were behind, but if the Twins had had like a 3-1 lead in the eighth inning yesterday, it's not 100% clear that Duran would have been available or at least fully available with what he is. So that's one of the things that I mean it's not surprising. We should hit a sponsor here quick. Then I'll, let, me make this, let me make this point and then we'll go to the sponsor. Okay. Uh, you can it's try not, to it's make not, it's not that surprising. Or we can do it the other way around, too. But uh, It's not that surprising, but back into the bullpen did not do particularly well in this series. Uh, well, Moran, that's why, Moran, that's why they're in the back end. Well, that, that's exactly. Versus the Astros lineup, you'd expect yeah. the fifth, sixth, and seventh relievers to not have a very good game. But they, yeah. they in fact, all had pretty crummy games. Yeah. <laughs> Moran is uh, – I have a lot of faith in Moran, just big picture. I think he's a, he's a odd – skill set in that he's a right. lefty who's better against righties and his best pitch is a changeup. Right. Although his fastball is not terrible, but I think the combination of he's not a traditional lefty in that I think they brought him in to face a couple of lefties in both of his appearances 
you know, like two out of the next three are lefties sure. or two out of the next four are lefties. And that's fine. It's not well, like the he, Astros only had two lefties in their lineup, right? right so. But I mean, it's, it's not like he should be avoiding lefties, right. but he's just not what you think of as like, oh, I'll bring in the lefty to face a lefty. Right. So that's a weird aspect. It's not always the best matchup for him to bring him in to face predominantly lefties. And then also, if he falls behind in cones or starts walking people, which has been an issue for him, you know, the you lose. I think for a a guy who's a fastball changeup primarily, especially to right-handed hitters, uh, he doesn't really throw slider to them. If you're behind in the count, it takes away a lot of the advantage you have because it simplifies the batter's right. mindset or from like a game theory perspective. Because right. if you're up, you know, one two or o oh, two. You can toy with them in terms of fastball changeup. Right. Like you can just throw three straight changeups if you want. And in their head, they're thinking he's got to throw me a fastball at some, and you can completely screw with them. But if it's 3 1 or right. 2 1 constantly and you're behind, they can eliminate one of those pitches because they're not afraid to just take a strike. Right. And also, you've not really proven over yeah, the course right. of your career that you can be an automatic strike when you need it. Right. And so I think, I mean, we talked about this actually a couple of weeks ago about changeups and stuff like that, but I think you saw this with Johan and the uh, Johan Santana, who's always my changeup right. uh, example. The rare times he struggled with his command, it allowed opposing hitters to be like, I'll just sit on the changeup or I'll just sit on the fastball. And if he wants to just throw the other one for a strike, right. well, then we're just even in the count anyway. So, I think that's going to be the challenge for Moran. Obviously, the eliminating walks is the the real challenge. Right. But like the meta, the meta part of that is like, it's not so much the walks that kill him. It's are you three one two one instead of one two o two? Because I right. I think he needs to be more in an attacking mindset, but also he needs to force the hitters to fear. Yeah. Both pitches, as opposed to being able to just kind of cross one out for a few. It feels like it's a you know catch twenty two, both positively and negatively, right from the beginning. That if he's all, if he's got that control and he therefore he can get ahead in the count, he becomes that much more dangerous. If he doesn't have that control and he gets behind in the count, he becomes that much more ineffective. Right. And so it, it the the start of the at bat seems to be super important with him. So I did not expect to have the first meaningful baseball topic on the show be Giovanni Moran but here we are uh before we get into we want to talk about the rotation and some yes. Kepler and Walner and Gallo and all that we got a lot of uh I don't know little tidbits and updates and roster well, it stuff. is spring and yeah. we've got forgotten star brewing yeah, opening up their patio we just hosted an event there enormous event there yeah uh and I'm actually a little disappointed to tell you that you guys missed another good time last night at forgotten star I wasn't there for it but it's a uh, Sunday night baseball they have a special on Sunday night baseball I think Forgotten Stars are a pretty big baseball fan. Yeah, it's a baseball-friendly <laughs> environment. It is a baseball-friendly. In fact, I saw I saw the event coordinator at the game on on Saturday. Actually, yeah. yeah. So yes, um, six to nine on Sunday nights. Each week they they'll be featuring a different four-dollar tap. One of their beers they put on special for four dollars on Sunday nights for Sunday night baseball. So every Sunday you can come back and try something new. They'll they'll change it around as to which one you have. Um, they, they've got the open garage doors, the summer breeze, crack of the wood bat, all of that. Uh, and they'll also have on all the Twins games this summer as well. A great place, great location. We had 350 people rave about how well they handled the big crowd that we had. Um, you know, 
a very cool facility. Everybody thinks the yeah, it's, it's along the uh, the train tracks, East River Road and Forty uh, Ninth. It's like I don't know, twelve fifteen minutes from downtown Minneapolis, right. basically. Yes. Uh, most nights you'll just find John there in general, but certainly <laughs> when he's opening hosting an event, Forgotten Star Brewing, check him out. Tell him John sent you. And also speaking of spring, the quick spring has maybe got, made you think, oh, shoot, I'm going to have to do something about my lawn. Uh, and you're probably thinking, I'm maybe, I, is it too late? No, it's not too late. Go and get get Sunday at getsunday.com slash Gleeman. You're going to be able to, uh, basically, you put in your address. They show you a map, a, a satellite map of your yard. Right. So they, they can know they, the, not only the dimensions of it of, in terms of what you'll need, but they know the type of soil, the type right. of grass, the, and the most environmental and, factors. And maybe most importantly right now, given this quick spring, they know exactly when you should apply it. Right. Right. So they will ship it to you with uh, instructions like you want to put this on on this three these three days of the year. Right. And all you do is you hook up the bag to your... Uh, Hose and spray your lawn. Yeah, and super easy. Fertilized. But it's customized for your exact lawn. Right. Uh, and if they're offering our listeners twenty percent off, right? Full season plans start at just uh, one hundred nine dollars, and you can get twenty percent off when you visit getsunday dot com slash gleeman twenty. Oh, gleeman twenty for twenty percent. Okay. Sunday like the day S U N D A Y. So that's twenty percent off your custom lawn plan. At getsunday.com slash Gleeman20. Okay. What a great week Um, it's going to be. Let's see. Uh, I got through all the... I don't know. That's enough probably on the Astros. Move move forward. We're on to the next. (laughs) You you can't linger that much in these... (sighs) These early games. Okay. It's like, uh, do you even remember they played the Royals? I don't know. You drive. I'll be in the passenger. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, You know I don't like to drive. (laughs) You're right. Have we talked about the fact that... Day, first of all, I never drive. Becky drives everywhere. The only place I ever drive with uh, is to here. Well, no, but when I'm with her, <laughs> I see. Is uh, if we're going to see my family somewhere, really? Because she gets too stressed out about that. <laughs> so, like, if we're driving to Minnetonka or something to see my mom, right? I have to do that That's drive, okay, so yeah. she can like get in the mindset of like. <laughs> um, but uh, also, I've now push it over to uh, my partnership with Dan Hayes, which is he will often, we've talked about this with him on the air. It's ridiculous. He commutes basically from Chicago and has for five years now. Uh, And he, he rents a place in the North loop from another writer. And sometimes he just, he'll drive in from Chicago, in which case, yeah, he's on his own, but sometimes he'll fly in from Chicago if the flight's cheap enough. In which case after games, he'll be like, can I get a ride back to my, place i'm standing in north loop from you if we're leaving at the same time and we now have it perfectly worked out john is laughing because he's experienced this with me too like when we we go to lunches we we start to walk to uh ramp a or whatever and i flip him the keys to my car (laughs) right and i have him drive himself to his his place and And everybody thinks that's always ridiculous but like who's a bigger expert on getting back to someone's own place than themselves sure yeah yeah it probably looks confusing when we pull up he gets out goes in i get out and get into the pass or from the passenger to the main one but (laughs) i like to drive so yeah john i always drive i always make you drive you've driven my car more than i have probably we go to lunch every time john drives my car that's probably we're stating it a little bit but yeah it's it, close we, yeah. well i've certainly driven it more when you're in the car yeah <laughs> i mean you right. right when both of us are in the car i should say yes rarely right. has someone i don't i don't think i've ever been in that car when you've driven 
Right. That's how yes. about that. Rarely has someone uh, been a passenger in their own car more than me. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about rotation stuff, or do you want to talk about uh, the outfield situation? Let's talk about rotation stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, they still, uh, I believe, lead the AL and ERA and innings per start, like we talked about a minute ago. You know, even the the least good starts they've had, which are the last couple of days actually, have been six innings, four runs, right? A lot of strikeouts, yep. not many walks. Uh, you know, they've gone five plus innings, the starter in each of the first nine games of the season. And I was wondering, like, one, how often does that happen? The last time that happened for the Minnesota Twins, where the starting pitcher went at least completed at least five innings in each of the first nine games of a season, was 05. And here's the rotation <laughs> in 05. Oh, let me go. Yeah. Uh, Santana, Radke. No, I'm not saying in order of, but yeah. yeah go Santana, ahead. Radke, yeah. Silva, yeah. Loge. Mm-hmm. 05. Maze was done by 05. Maze was the fifth. Was it? Okay. At least to start the season. <laughs> yeah, now, it was right. different when they got late okay, in the season. Right. Uh, but that goes with what we've, I mean, that's several times in the past couple months, we've said, or I've said, and I've written this too, like the, this rotation on paper has a chance to be the Twins' best rotation since. Johan Santana's prime, and that was basically Johan Santana's prime, and that was still when before Radke kind of completely fell apart from an injury standpoint. It was the good aspect of Carlos Silva. You had the tail end of Kyle Loesch's Twins career. All that stuff sort of went together. Now that the O five team was not a great team, I think they won like eighty three, eighty four games, something like that. But yeah, that was the that was the gap year that they right, had. That they right, didn't yeah, win between because then in 06, four they, and 06, yeah, they made the playoffs and lost to uh, the Oakland. A's. Yeah. yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it's I wrote about this a few days ago, but the the whole narrative from last season of you know they they got quick hooks and they want to remove every starter and it's it's costing them games and you know Baldelli's has no feel for all that. What the Twins? I mean, that's. On some aspect, they, their rotation through the second fewest innings in the league last year. So, yeah, there were quick hooks. But the kind of why were there quick hooks, I, I feel like has had gotten completely misconstrued or, or misunderstood. And we tried to kind of combat that during the year, but then it fell apart so much just overall for the rotation and the team that nobody wanted to hear, not excuses, but explanations right. for right. that. But, I mean, looking yeah. back on it now, it's not that the Twins and Baldelli or the pitching coach Pete Mackey had some huge epiphany this winter where they said, we're wrong how we're handling starting pitchers. Now we're going to let our pitchers go deep. Right. This has always been their approach to starting pitchers right. is they always want six or seven or certainly five plus. But the problem last year is 40% of their starts last year, I think 66 out of 162, were made by Chris Archer, who – was like almost physically unable to pitch a lot of the times. Right. Great guy, and he gave it his all, but to get through three or four or four and a third innings was just an incredible task for him right. every five days. Dylan Bundy, who did fine, but the idea of, well, we need a sixth or a seventh inning from Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy was you know, trying to dance through raindrops, throwing 88-mile-an-hour fastballs last sure. year, and then Dove and Smeltzer again in there. It was a soft-tossing lefty. The reason those guys got quick hooks in almost half of the twin starts were because, A, they just weren't – they're not that good. Right. B, Archer was not even remotely healthy. Right. And then, C, the twins had no 
confidence in their ability to face a lineup the third time and decided to be proactive about it and not find out. Like, not find out what happens if you ask Chris Archer to pitch six innings or what happens if you ask Dylan Bundy to face the two, three, four in a good lineup for a third time with an 87 mile an hour fastball and smelter and all that. And so people looked at that and looked at the low totals for innings and also the bullpen struggling for long stretches last year and said, well, you just won't, they just won't leave an inning starter. But the reality is if you look at the two good starters and healthy starters they had last year, mostly healthy starters was Sonny Gray and Joe Ryan. And they averaged, more innings per start than the average starter, right. which is what you would expect. And so now they we're also, seeing they almost only started fifty-one of the hundred and sixty-two right, games. Which is, that's there. the problem. Right. Yeah, right. The problem they is started a third of the games, less than a third correct. of the games. Right. There, it's not that the Twins had some rigid organization-wide dogma against letting starters go six innings. That would be idiotic right. if you had that. It's that they had at most last year two-fifths of their rotation that they had any sort of confidence of being sort of hands-off with and not having to micromanage them within starts. And this year, so far, knock on wood, is much different. And Sonny Gray talked about that after his 13 strikeouts start against the Astros. And his point was, last year, I felt, and also Joe Ryan, he said, felt, we had to be flawless in our starts because, especially if we were back-to-back, then what happens over the next three days? The team is just flailing away with pitching and it almost felt like oh well, now i've pitched now let's wait till it gets back to the top of the rotation so we can get good starts again and this is just a completely different story now obviously they're not going to have a sub two era all year uh, as a rotation and there's going to be some health stuff that comes up and there's going to be some struggling performances we've seen it you know erode a little bit the last couple days but just the idea of you look at the schedule on your way to the ballpark and you go well who's starting today and there isn't a Delvin Smeltzer or right. a Dylan Bundy or a right. Chris Archer or a Chichi Gonzalez or a whatever spot starter. Now, maybe late in the season, that'll be a different story. But I just think this is how they would like to handle the starters. Not that they want starters to go seven, eight complete games, all that stuff. That's not going to happen. The Twins are not. I mean, no team takes that approach now. But the Twins are definitely not taking that approach. But I actually don't think anything has changed in how Baldelli and Pete Mackey, the pitching coach, are handling the starters. I just think the talent involved and the health involved and the performances involved allows it to play out in a way that doesn't mean they have to have quick hooks and doesn't mean they're protecting guys from what they perceive to be really bad matchups, you know, third time through the lineup. And that's not going to mean complete games, but it's going to mean, you know, even when Tyler Malley is at a, you know, B minus C plus level yesterday right. for him he still goes six innings because that's normal now for good healthy pitchers and i think ho- i don't know hopefully they'll continue to do that because i think putting that narrative aside if not to bed is good because it at least allows people to evaluate and analyze what they're yeah. seeing as opposed to thinking this craziness about yeah baldelli wants to remove every starter after four innings as if he thinks that's like the key to winning like, right. what I mean, it, I mean, it was always. Listen, there there were times last year. I don't want to relitigate last year's uh, rotation usage. I'm always much, ready, right? Joe. <laughs> right? Objection. <laughs> um, but there were certainly times last year where I also thought, okay, this is not Bundy. This is not Archer. This is Sonny Gray, and I would like him to, to sure. go one more inning out there. Yep. Right? 
there were also, by the way, have seen times where we did where they did that. They leaned into that late in the year, and it went very, very sideways, right. very, very fast. Third time through the year, including order, right? with Sonny Gray. Right. Yeah, exactly. With including with yeah. Sonny Gray, right? And Absolutely. Joe Ryan. And Joe Ryan, right? That ba- I remember back to back games. I think yes. I remember in the late pitchers in, have to also do their part right. to kind of not force the team to be overly protected. That's right. Now, now you could argue maybe they had would have performed better in August had they had the chance to do that earlier as well in May or something yeah, like that. You could also know, argue right. that'd be more innings on their <laughs> arm and they'd be worse. <laughs> it could be. So uh, my point is like, there were times last year where I felt kind of the same way. But I will say this. I think the outrage about that right. was based more on <laughs> the frustration of watching Archer and Bundy, of course, yeah, right. I mean that. I think Twins fans were, were. I mean, I think it's similar to what kind of the the what the starting pitchers talk about now when they talk about momentum and they talk about building off each other and so on. We'll get to that in a second, but I think Twins fans would be sit there going, "I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch Chris Archer go four and two thirds and give up a bunch of runs, and I'm going to watch Dylan Bundy maybe get it to the maybe get to the sixth inning, right? You know, blah, blah, blah. and so. Because you're frustrated watching that, when you see Joe Ryan get through, you know, f- five and two thirds innings, and there's a couple guys on base, and here comes the top of the order the third time again, you want to be like, no, 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 please leave him in. Right. I don't, I don't, right? Yeah. And Sonny Gray, as a fan, that is your natural reaction, right? right. Whereas from the manager's standpoint, it's going to be like, uh, I need to win this game because I've got three guys coming up uh, tomorrow yeah. over the next three days that I don't trust on the mound. You know, so th- plus you uh, toss in last year, and Sonny Gray will talk about this. He wasn't healthy last year. Hmm. Not he wasn't hurt, right? But right. he yes, right. was way behind in spring training because of the lockout, and just to get himself ready to start one of the first five games of last year, and he he was like limited in terms of workload. He said this spring, I probably shouldn't have even been pitching the first few weeks last year. <laughs> right. And then yes. he had hamstring injuries throughout the season. And like we mentioned a minute ago, when he did get opportunities to face the top of a lineup for a third time, which is usually in the fifth or sixth inning, he allowed like a 280 batting average. And you can, I can think of two games at Target Field right. where he went out there for the sixth or sometimes the seventh and gave up back-to-back singles. And it's like... What do you want him to do? Yeah, here? Right, they, they lead up. Right. It's a one-run game, and they give up back-to-back right. singles. Right. And that was the other problem, right. I think, and we've seen this still this year. But so many times it, they would get to like the fifth inning, even like a uh, Bundy or Archer start, let alone a, a Gray or Ryan start, and it would be like three-two or two-one or two-two or something like that score. And when you're at that point, and Chris Archer's at uh, seventy-eight pitches, and he's looked <laughs> a little shaky. And you go, well, do I really want to try to push this guy right. who's you know held together by duct tape at this point physically right. for a fifth inning in a game that is in the balance? Now, if the Twins had scored six runs at that point and it was six to two, then it's much easier for a manager to be like, all right, let's let him roll through another inning. We'll get the bullpen warmed up and we'll see how it goes. But so often, I feel like, especially in those three guys, Smeltzer, Bundy, and, and Archer starts, it's they didn't pitch particularly well, but the offense very rarely came through. I mean, the offense was so boomer bust last year in yeah, general, and right. so it it made the decisions on those starters higher leverage decisions right, yeah. because there were just few games where the Twins were just up seven to two in the fourth inning, and you can say, all right, let's try to get an extra inning out of that. And we we've t- seen that this year to some extent too. We talked a lot last year about how it wasn't so much 
a philosophy. It was just they just didn't have the bullets. They right. didn't have the bullets in the rotation, and they didn't have the bullets in the bullpen. They didn't have a deep enough bullpen sure. to cover those middle innings. And they, they didn't. And so you've got Baldelli being the forced, other problem. To, yeah, yeah, being forced to choose between two bad options, right. and almost. You're going to look when you got two bad options. It doesn't matter which choice you make. You're going to look bad because <laughs> yeah, because I mean, neither ain't neither one going to work out. Very I remember well for you, like right? yeah, after watching the Twins bullpen, especially you know Pagan and other middle relievers and cough up leads after these short starts, it's easy and natural to be like, well, they got to stop with the short starts. But the Twins felt like all that's doing is changing who struggles in the middle innings. Right, yeah. and you could maybe make the argument, well, let's find out if that's true, but. Their thing was like, but they do try that, and then that doesn't work right. that way, and then it's the other. And way. so, you know, the, changing the narrative once it's in place, it's never going to be in place. People are going to be talking about short starts because the other thing is people lose sight of where the Twins are within the context of thirty teams. Right. And so, if you're only watching Twins games, even their starts now, they lead the they lead the league in average innings per start, and it's like five point nine. And I think if you just told the average Twins fan, oh, they're averaging 5.9 innings per start. They'd be like, oh, is that dead last in baseball? It's uh, <laughs> yeah. first in the league. And so I think there's the loss of that context, too, in terms of we've just reached a stage where six innings is the goal right. here, where it used to be even, you know, when we started this podcast, it would be seven, yeah. certainly, or eight. And, you know, complete games are totally out the window except for very unique circumstances. And so – if you can lead the league at 5.9 innings per start, I mean, they would be thrilled to maintain that all season, obviously. They probably won't. But uh, you're still going to have fans who are like, well, yeah, I still don't like that. It should be six-point-something innings per start or seven innings per start. And it's like I don't necessarily disagree with that, but you do have to kind of be it's – like, it's like complaining that uh, you know an NBA team you follow shoots too many three-pointers. It's like that may be true, but also look around the league. Right, that's yeah, I guess. how it works at this point, and I think short starts. I also it never I mean, to, get, to get over six, you've got to have more as many sevens as you do fives. Well, you, know, you can't and, have and, two and, and two thirds and very you, often. You can't have a two and two right. thirds anyway. You know, that, right. that, that, that's just I, the one thing that I think, and we got into this a little last year, I remember, but it was you know an uphill battle to talk about this stuff. Uh, I never quite understand why it's like I don't want to say morally better, but people feel it's like a crime against baseball to have a higher percentage of the innings go to the bullpen. Right. I never yeah. quite understood. Now, aesthetically, like in the playoffs, it's great to be like, oh, my God, you got uh, Scherzer versus Verlander, or two aces. It's right. great to do that. Right. And the, the shorter starts become the less important the individual starting pitcher is. And so you can't just say, oh, I'm picking – the Dodgers because they got Kershaw on the mound. Well, if Kershaw's right. only going to go five and two thirds or whatever, but but beyond that, beyond the old marquee matchup of it all, it never it it was always weird to me that the idea of well, it used to be the average starter went six or seven. Now the average starter goes five or six, and people were, but that that inning or two just gets shifted to a bullpen that is a has more people in it, right? And yep. B is everyone throws ninety seven, right? And there's so many great relievers that you know they're not even the top relievers on their team. I never quite understood why the concept of shifting an inning or two per game that normally would have been covered by a starting pitcher, shifting that workload or responsibility to the bullpen, why does that strike people so negatively? Like why is that – why are they so protective of the workloads of starters when relievers are generally on a per-inning basis – 
better. Right, yeah. It, it's always strange to me, and it is a balance. You can't just have three inning starts and expect your bullpen to do that. I kind of wonder, wonder if that is – I mean, I, I think that is generally the case for baseball fans everywhere. I wonder if that is even more so with Twins fans. Well, just because, Twins fans can just always go, hey, I watched Jack Morris go 10. Yeah, How I come mean, they can't I go mean, 10? I, that's what, I think Bly Levin and Morris, sure. and especially also you know, as well as them being involved in the announcing team and talking well, about a, that sort of that's thing a decent all the time, point too, yeah. right, is that a bigger deal for Twins fans than it is for some of these. But you know, to follow, just to maybe put a bow on part of this, is that same thing that was wrong last year, You know, the the perception that, you know, we've got to get as much, squeeze as much out of the two good arms as we can yeah. because we've got three bad arms. In there. That script is totally flipped right now. And as a result, I feel like, A, each of those starters feel a little bit more pressure to do well and to stay in the game because the guy before them and the guy after them do that. On the other hand, they also are easier. It's easier for them to write off not that, that not happening because right. they know the next day yeah, I – you know, I didn't have a great day, but I mean, I think I think we even have a quote from Mally yesterday. Yeah, like, he literally I didn't said, have a great day, but my aid is on the mound tomorrow. Yeah, you know, he's like, like I'm sure Kent will go out there and be great. <laughs> no, I think you're right. It's it's and, 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 and he was like, eh, you know, I, I I had a turd sandwich, but we kind of sandwich it between Ryan's great outing and my right. is great outing. No, I think it's <laughs> which I, by the way, it wasn't a turd sandwich. It was fine. No, it was right, fine. right. Uh, the I think you're right. I think the phrasing of it is tricky because it's like I think they're not. They don't feel less or more pressure to go deep now. I think it's they feel they're more motivated to go deep. Yeah, now. I agree. Yeah, because I it's like a contest within right. the. That's right. Because to your point, they actually feel less pressure to force themselves through bad outings and try to stay in, even if they're you know at eighty percent or whatever. <laughs> because there's less pressure because you know. Gray and Ryan felt like last year, if I don't go six, right. and the next three days our starters are going four and a third. I mean, Gray things, talked about it this year. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, honestly, right. I thought we, we're not going to get super into Sonny Gray, but we talked a lot about Sonny, Sonny Gray, Gray on Friday's like behind the yep. scenes Sonny Gray, because right. he had a lot of interesting stuff to say and just a couple like little stories from the clubhouse and stuff. So if you want some of that after his great outing, 13 strikeout outing against uh, against Houston, we talked about him a ton on the last Patreon. So P-A-T-R-E-O on Patreon dot com slash gleeman okay there's just one other thing uh pitching wise eh, i don't know the we were, i had some notes about gray but i'll just have, go listen to the pitch we did like 40 <laughs> minutes on sunny gray including like some behind the scenes stuff that only uh i don't know seven people in the world could tell you about. <laughs> i'm not saying yeah, it's like right. breathtaking information <laughs> right but, you know that's the type of stuff we try to pass along especially on the patreon is like a yes. little but little behind the scenes tidbits little when, humanity and it gives us a chance to immediately react to like a big game and a home opener well, right. is just a big game right? uh so. okay so before we talk about kepler and walner and gallo and some of the outfield stuff uh let's talk about our next sponsors one of them is is raycon which uh, i've been R-A-Y-C-O-N. using r-a-y-c-o-n yeah it's uh wireless earbuds right and I've been using them in the press box this year. Oh, cool. I used to use wired headphones right, yeah. because I'm an old man. I've switched to wireless because of the noise canceling uh, uh, and the you know sort of fit component. Because the yes. people around me are incredibly annoying, <laughs> and they have no respect for my need to do work. Uh, and I'm the same way when oh, I'm not on. Oh, when absolutely, I'm not writing. you are right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd been there five minutes this season before uh, Joe Young Park said, I'm sick of you guys talking, and he went in the other room. But I have found that with my Raycon wireless earbuds, it blocks out a lot of the noise that uh, 
you know, annoys me. Right. When there's other people typing or talking or transcribing audio or whatever, and I need to write. Right. And so I know you take them when you go on runs yes. because it's good when you're jogging and running because the actual physical feel or fit on your ear is a lot better, I have found, and I think you have too, compared to some other brands, some yep. more expensive brands. Yep. Uh, the the battery life is really good. I, as a someone who barely knows how to do anything technology-wise, pairing it with my laptop or my phone or whatever device from Bluetooth is super easy even for a dummy like me, but which he, is here, valuable. And here's the big thing. Yeah. The price. Yes, the I price mean, point This is, is just well-engineered earbuds for a portion of the price that you have to pay for like big name, right. big name and high brand earbuds. Our listeners can get a further discount from that. You go to buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash Gleeman today. You get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash Gleeman to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash Gleeman. And since you're going to be at the ballpark, I just got a, day uh, games. I just got a new shipment from uh, Native Deodorant because guess Ooh. what, everyone? They don't just do deodorant now. They, Sunscreen. Yes. It did not come in time for my trip to spring training, but it's here for uh, baseball. And uh, if you're... Uh, at Target Field, now that it's actually going to warm up a little bit and the sun's going to come out a little bit, uh, or if you're like me and you're just sitting in a chair in a press box in the sun for five hours at a time, put a little sunscreen on. Yes. Native deodorant. We are pale, now we are pale Minnesotans. And spring yeah, has come true, fast, yeah. and the, so is baseball. And we're going to be outside. Let's get some. Uh, let's get some uh, protection on our skin. And you know, it's, what you can trust about Native is the same thing you trust about putting their deodorant on you. You know what's in it. You know that you don't have to worry natural about natural ingredients spelled right. out on the packaging. It's you don't have to guess what kind of weird stuff is in there. Uh, gives you good protection. Uh, it deserves with Native's mineral sunscreens. You go to Native Deo Deo like deodorant. It's nativedeo.com slash Gleeman. Use the promo code Gleeman at checkout and you will get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash Gleeman. Use the promo code Gleeman when you check out uh, to get 20% off at nativedeo.com slash Gleeman. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's talk outfield. Yes. I guess. So Max Kepler hurt his knee Running out of infield single in Miami on Monday. Correct. Which is what, April 3rd? Yep. Yeah, week f- Right week after you hit the home run. The day when we were doing bumper That's to bumper, right. right. That's yep. right. Um, and left the game. Initially, they thought, eh, it's a day-to-day thing. Uh, he went for imaging and all right. that. Uh, and no, stru- no big structural damage or anything. They were like, oh, he just kind of tweaked his knee a couple days. They were hoping that you know he's probably going to sit out the rest of that series. Then you had the off day, home opener. Yeah, come back at some point during the Astro series. And actually on Saturday he tested it pregame with doing some you know eighty percent running a little bit on the field, and that didn't go well. Basically, right. not a he setback. Pain but decelerating. Yeah, he he was fine accelerating, but kind of slowing down. And I actually remember Buxton had the same thing when he had the hip problem uh, okay. last year or the year before. Uh, and they so after Saturday, they ditched the day to day. You can backdate moves to the injured list, but only by three days. days. But only by three days. So right. I mean, they were already past. They were that. At five, I think, right? By the time they put them on there, 
so he will be eligible to return from the injured list Saturday during the Yankee series right. in New York. Yep. I would probably guess that's unlikely mid series. Uh, but they also then have an off day after that, and then they go to Boston. Maybe the Boston series is more feasible. I think the problem with Kepler on these some of these injuries, first of all, I looked this up. This is his sixth injured list stint in the last three-plus seasons. Hmm. If you count this as – I'm yeah, calling this as right. the plus yeah. in three-plus. There have not been like you know big injuries, but they've been a lot of different injuries, legs, yep. uh, thumbs, Did elbows. He have, does he have a COVID? Yeah, one COVID on yeah. there, um, and he's tended, I would say, to two things. One, as we just saw, kind of remain on the active roster for a week or so, waiting out a day-to-day injury, and then ultimately going on the injured list. Right. Or and or, which is why I'm skeptical. This one is why I'm skeptical that he'll be back for the New York series. Once he's on the injured list, regardless of how substantial or not the injury was described in initially he's tending not to return when first eligible and you know that's not like a moral failing by kepler but i think no. that's worth noting like i wrote something about walner today and under normal circumstances matt walner who's their reigning minor league player of the year and uh, i ranked him as their fourth best prospect on my preseason thing he's a minnesota native former mr uh whatever mr baseball minnesota all right. For at uh, okay. Forest Lake as a pitcher, which I always like. <laughs> That's amazing. And the yeah. Twins drafted him out of high school, like in the 30th round, which doesn't even exist anymore, as a pitcher. And he turned them down, and he was going to go play, I think, at North Dakota State. And then they canceled the baseball program. Oh, South wow. Dakota State, North Dakota State. I sh- I'm sorry. I'm angering people by not knowing uh, college baseball. And so then he pivoted to southern Mississippi where he broke pretty much every hitting record there right. owned by – Brian Dozier, which is an interesting <laughs> right, little yeah, thing. Right. And now, and then after that, I mean, he was a, one of the great college players during that time. The Twins drafted him again, this time as a hitter with a supplemental first right. round pick, right. like 30th or 40th overall, as a slugging right fielder. Right. Now, the nice thing when you were drafted out of high school as a pitcher, and he actually pitched a little in college as a reliever, just an absolute cannon yes. in right field yeah. to the point that I asked Joey Gallo yesterday. Who has an absolute cannon? In oh, okay. Field. I was going to ask you Baldelli, but okay. You, well, talk, you also asked. That, this was before that. Okay. I think this motivated the question to Baldelli later, which right. we're about to get to. And I said, comp wise, do you look across here at Walner, who was like literally right. across from him in the locker room, and think that kind of seems like a you know Joe Gallo type? They're both like six four, six five. They're both uh, we call them beefy. Right. Uh, they're both better athletes than I think their size would suggest. They both have incredible left-handed raw power. They both draw some walks. Right. They both have great, great arms in right, right field or left field. Uh, and they both also were pitching prospects in high school. Right. They were both which Baldelli <laughs> right. yeah. scouted Gallo. He told as us in pitcher. high school <laughs> as a pitcher, and yeah. he threw ninety six, ninety seven, uh, and also. They're both going to strike out a lot. <laughs> and Gallo was like hesitant to comp him too much, I think probably because he doesn't really know that much about right. Walner as a player. But he did say, you know, when we were doing like outfield drills in Fort Myers and I'd be like standing next to him or, or Gallo sometimes would be taking the throws at first base because they were working him on it. He said, this guy's arm is ridiculous. And that's coming from a guy whose arm is ridiculous. ridiculous. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so right. it's yeah. like uh, Shaq telling Yao Ming he's tall. It's like he's <laughs> right. real tall. Right. Uh, and so – I think though, it's a it's a lot different skill set 
So so Walner was called up to replace uh, Kepler on the roster. He started in right field yesterday. I think, generally speaking, yeah, I can see him lead off probably. But he's a left-handed bat. He's a right fielder. Right. It's a pretty seamless. I yeah. know people wanted Ed Julian called up, but that just in terms of a seamless. In terms of replacing Kepler, the first yes. one has to be up as a left-handed hitting right. quarter outfielder. And right. the reason we're talking about him more in-depth, Walner, as opposed to just saying, oh, someone's filling in for a week, is I'm somewhat skeptical that Kepler will be back in a week. And even if he is back in a week, I'm somewhat skeptical that three months from now, Max Kepler will be the everyday right fielder and Matt Walner will be at AAA. Are we also a little skeptical when Joey Gallo will be back? Because he's also... Joey Gallo, yes. I'll see how he is today. But I had a nice chat with Joey Gallo. Dan and I talked to him, just sort of shooting shooting the S with him a little. And he... Seemed optimistic that he's going to avoid the injured list and all that. Okay. Now, with that said, the Twins seemed optimistic about Kepler doing yeah. the same. But we'll see. But the- I mean, here's the uh, as Baldelli brought up, and as you went through when you went through the pitching matchups, they're seeing a lot of right-handed pitchers, right. a lot of really good right-handed pitchers. The only pitchers. lefty they're going to – first of all, they've only faced one lefty so far. Right. Uh, it was uh, Jesus Lazardo, right. who that's a hell of a lefty to face. The next Nest- one they face Nestor. is going to be Nestor Cortez. Cortez yeah. And then I think after that, the next one they face is going to be Chris Sale in Boston. So you're getting like three lefties in the first 20 games, which is not a lot. Right. I saw, I think the Red Sox, they're facing lefties in like 10 of their first 14 games or something like that, which is huh. a whole other issue. But um, Matt Walner, I think, you know, he played 18 games for the Twins last year down the stretch. Now, some people were kind of checked out at that point. It's hard to blame them. But so everyone got a glimpse. You know, he he, he handled himself decently, Fine. I right. thought. Had a, had a long homer off Shane Bieber, which was a good one for his first, uh, I think it was his first hit. Definitely his first homer. Um, like I said, Forest Lake native. Big, big, big raw power. He's improved his plate discipline or or walk drawing ability. He drew 97 walks last year in the minors. And it's what we talk about with, with guys like Gallo or guys like Sano. Every A lot of people just see a high strikeout rate and a low batting average and think, this guy swings at everything. Matt Walner does not swing at everything. Right. Matt Walner gets deep in counts trying to draw walks or get crushable pitches, and then he gets to two strikes as part of that, and he has a lot of swing and miss when he does swing, sure. which leads to a lot of strikeouts. But from a skill set standpoint, he's a lot different than Kepler. I mean, Kepler, both offensively and defensively, like Kepler looks like – he should be a great baseball player. Like if you just watched him, I always say if there were no stats kept, right. everyone would assume Max Kepler was like a six-time all-star because he is smooth in everything he does. He does everything reasonably well. He's a good athlete for his size. He's capable of hitting long homers. He's right. capable of stealing bases. He's a really good right fielder, good range, good arm, all that stuff. Yep. And then you look at the end of the year and you go, well, how's he hitting 217? Right. And he doesn't even strike out a lot, which is right. the, the most kind of – frustrating thing that right. breaks people's brains when they try to evaluate Max Kepler. Yep. It's because, and we've talked about this a lot, but he strikes out less than the average hitter, like by far. He struck out almost at like half of the league average rate last year. And then you think, how can a guy who never strikes out or rarely strikes out hit 230 for his career in 215 the last few years? It's because the caliber of the balls that he puts in play, what he does with all that contact has so much less value than kind of an average hitter because yeah. he some of it is shift related, but I don't think that's going to magically fix anything. He just hits so many easy to field pop ups and weak fly balls and you know three hoppers to second base and all that stuff. And so it's like it's great that he doesn't strike out; those are automatic outs. But so many of the balls that he makes contact with are ninety nine percent outs anyway. 
Matt Walner does not have that problem. Right. Matt Walner's problem is putting the ball in play. When Matt Walner hits a ball, he hits it. Like <laughs> it, it goes very far and very hard. Right. Uh, and his batting average on balls in play is almost certainly going to be better than the average hitter. I mean, if it's not, he's not going to have a career because he hits the crap out of the right. ball. And, you know, he has the type of power that Kepler has shown in 2019, but not really since then. I think the batting averages might be similar, but how they get to that 225, 230 batting average and is the, just so much and different. And the on-base percentage might be somewhere. Yes, because Kepler does right? draw walks. I think it's, Walner is going to draw walks, too. It's a matter of whether or not too. one can hit the, hit the yes. out of the ball. And right. you know, defensively, it's, it's also much different, which is that Kepler has an okay arm, but Kepler is just so smooth and gets good jumps and just sort of glides after balls into that right center field gap and just gets to sure. – he robs extra yeah. base hits. Walner, it takes him a while to get underway because he's huge. Uh, I actually think he's sort of similar to Larnick in that if you give him like 10 steps and then evaluate them, they look, they're pretty fast. Yeah. But it's those kind of getting moving. Right. They're like a car that needs a, a push. You know what I mean? Like, there was a shot into the gap yesterday that uh, he ended up getting to before Taylor got over on yeah. the warning track. And I was, I was like, hold it, does that? Is that Walner? <laughs> yeah, I think Raging he looks. Far, I think he's. I he think looks he's a, awkward out there because he's huge. I don't know that his instincts are always the best, but once underway, he's actually pretty fast. I actually, agree. With and you. I think being that, huge, I think this has helped Larnick too. Being well, this helps Aaron Judge too. By the way, you get to balls. Not that Max Kepler's tiny or anything, right. but you're, when you're six five, which Gallo is too, you just get to balls that. It makes you get up a little for, bit more of a stride. Yeah, you yeah. get another half step just because you're massive and your arm right. span and all that. So I, I think Walner Kepler is the the skill set that tends to be overrated because he doesn't strike out a lot, and people assume that means that he's a more disciplined hitter mm-hmm. and he looks smooth and he's a good athlete and all that stuff. But the overall production is is has been lacking. I think Walner is the opposite. I think Walner has a skill set that tends to be underrated because people are still so obsessed with strikeouts and batting average, and he's never going to hit, you know, two eighty. Yeah. the The goal for him is to hit like two forty, two fifty, because if that comes along with thirty homers and seventy five walks, and you know, passable range in in right field with you know a top of the scale throwing arm, which we saw the value of that with like Michael Kadire over the years. That's a pretty good player to the point that I'm kind of at – I mean, look, we talked about Kepler as a trade candidate all offseason. Right. I've been ready to move on from Ke- for Kepler for a while now. And if it's just a minor injury, he's going to come back. They'll send down Walner and you know this right. discussion will be moot for a while. But it's not hard to see that there's a changing of the guard coming here right. sooner than later. I mean, certainly by next season. Well, I mean, both Gallo – Gallo's going to be a free agent yeah. <laughs> over the offseason. And Kepler has an option. Uh, p- team option, uh, so it, there will right. be there for will be there will be openings in the corner spots for my, my question. Walner, I guess Larda, is, Kirloff, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. If let's say Walner gets two weeks here before Kepler comes right. back yeah. and plays, you know, a dozen games or something on top of the eighteen he played last year, and let's say you know he hits two fifty and he pops a few homers and he draws some walks and he throws a guy or two out on the bases, and you look at him and you go. All right, this guy's uh, just one minor league player of the year for us. He's off to a good start at Triple A before we called him up. The skill, power wise, arm wise, like it's clearly there. He's a flawed player. Are we that 
committed to sending him back to St. Paul. Yeah, I don't know. And kind of sticking with Max Kepler. I would say they are. I mean, a, a minor knee injury is not going to change their plans that much. But I thought their plan with Kepler was kind of questionable to begin with. I mean, we talked a lot about this right. during the offseason of we're sticking with Kepler. They could have traded him. They could have essentially dumped him. They insisted. I talked to a Twins official at the winter meetings who said this isn't even an Urshela situation. We can get an actual player for him. Right. And they didn't. And I just kept thinking, if that's true, well, do it. Right, yeah. Not only do you get return for a guy who I think is on the downswing of his career and is no longer in your long-term plans, obviously, but it clears $8.5 million that you could have used on a, a pitcher or you could have used on a, you know, whatever. And I'd, so, feel a lot about, I'd feel a lot more strongly about it if Kirilov was healthy. You know, if I had, if I had yeah, faith that Kirilov was I don't was think Kirilov's going to play the outfield anymore. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure. yeah. once in a while. Right. But I don't like we used to think of Kirloff and Larnick right. as the corner outfielders. Correct. I think Kirloff is going to be a first yeah. base DH. Yeah. Occasional. I mean, I, I think we had enough questions coming into this year about whether or not Gallo can bounce back, and I mean, we still have some questions about sure. that, right? Kirloff's health, you know, Larnick's health. We had questions about his health, yep. right, coming into the year. Yeah. That okay, maybe hanging on to Kepler, not such sure. a bad idea Especially at this point, right? Once they traded. See, my, our assumption, I think, or especially my assumption early, was Kepler was going to get traded to lessen the left-handed hitting logjam right. for these guys that we're talking about. Instead, they kept Kepler and traded a rise, right. which sort of had a yeah, similar effect. Yeah. Now, you point. can debate if that was the right thing, too, although Pablo Lopez certainly looks yeah. really good right now. Right. I would have you, weren't argued, getting Pablo, you weren't getting Pablo Lopez right, for, uh, for Max, Max Kepler. Kepler. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'm sure the Twins tried. <laughs> Well, they would have been I, like, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, they'd be like, uh, would you? How about, have, people would, told me they, would they you were trying to work take, out a package. Would right? you guys take Max Kepler for Pablo Lopez? And I'm sure the Marlins were like, yeah, if you throw in Luis, Luis Arise, <laughs> we think about that. Uh, so, I, I think, I don't know. I don't. There is a, uh, you know, the potential outcomes with Walner in terms of his career, the next five years, let's say, mm-hmm. are pretty extreme. Yep, like he could be Brent Rooker. 2.0 yes. as a left-handed hitter, right. although he's in the major still. I still think Brett Rucker can hit a little <laughs> bit. but um, but Or he could be you know, a poor man's Joey Gallo. Right. He could be something closer to like what we think Larnick's upside is. Right. He can kind of get the strikeouts a little bit pared down. You know, a 260, 30-homer walk-drawing guy. All those are very intriguing. I mean, it, it's what we talked about. On the depth side a lot this offseason, which, yes, they went out and got Kyle Farmer and Michael Taylor and Donovan Solano, these kind of veteran high-end bench guys. But what they also have from a depth standpoint is instead of having to turn, you know, Kepler gets hurt a week into the season. Instead of turning to Mark Contreras or uh, Ryan Lamar or whatever to fill in for two weeks where you're just sort of trying to get by, they actually have – a top prospect who has immediate upside, yep. but also has the ability to show that he can be kind of a long-term puzzle piece here. Yeah. And that is always ex- – we talk about that a lot going back 10 years. That to me is the most exciting. When you can start to bring up people as injury fill-ins or mid-season replacements, and they're not just placeholders. They're not just seat fillers. They're a guy where you go, well, hell, Walner might be their number five hitter for the next five years if things go well. And you've got this sort of organic opportunity for Walner as well. Right. You know, that, that okay, uh, yeah, let's get him two weeks in here and see what happens. And, you know, in two weeks from now, we might be like, geez, do we really want to send this guy down? Right. Uh, or two we, weeks from now, 
somebody might else be, might be hurt. Right. And there isn't even a roster crunch when Kepler comes back. Or two weeks from now, we're like, eh, let's send him down. Let's sure. give him a little bit more time. Which isn't the end right, of the that's world. That's fine. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, so. it's a good opportunity for him, I think, to – I mean, they like Walner, and I, I think he's a good prospect. But, you know, the flaws with Walner are, are easy to see. And it's – Sure. And he, real. He needs right. to not disprove them, but he needs to basically either show – that he can lessen his weaknesses a little bit or needs to show that his strengths, which is power, right. are just so strong right. that you're perfectly yeah. happy to live yeah. with a 240 batting average or a 230 batting average. And I think all those things are possible. Um, it is kind of funny that like I tried to get Baldelli to comp Gallo and Walner, <laughs> which is what you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and, somebody, and you also asked him which one has the better arm. So which one has I didn't somebody else might have been Dan. Oh, yeah, said which right. one has the better arm. Oh, that's right. And Baldelli's answer was, well, let's just look at Statcast after just, they've yeah, thrown a few, which that's fair. Yeah. And then I said later, and I, I smiled as I said this because it's three years now of me trying to get Rocco Baldelli to agree with a player comp when I say, Doesn't this guy right. kind of remind you of this guy? And I laid it out for him. I said, Look, these are big beefy boys. They're right. both six four, six five. They both got Top of the scale raw power from the left side. Top of the scale throwing arms. They're also more athletic than they might first appear, and they also both strike out a ton. Right. This seems like a pretty decent player comp. And what he said to me, I said, "Look, this is the funniest quote." Ever. I would, I, like I didn't this use quote, this quote, he, but he, here's, here was he, his initial response to me saying that because all I needed him to say for the for the purposes of uh, what uh, he basically said was what he's basically telling you, and this is. Quit trying to make me talk about player comps. I don't like them. Yes. This is this is how this starts. Here's what it he said, I would say this. And he's like smirking at me. <laughs> there are some general similarities in the players, and probably leave it at that. <laughs> and I was like, oh. No, but but you you, you want to keep going? Do you still have more more from that? Not nah, no, okay, but I can right. paraphrase. But yeah. Basically his point was I in general, I'm just not a big fan of player comps. Right, which period. I know. Right. Yeah, so right, after right. we stopped recording and I said, I'm going to get you one of these times. One of these times <laughs> you're going to forget you hate exactly comps. Exactly the same person. Yeah, and you're going to go, that's not bad, Aaron. And then you're going to like <laughs> explode in a ball fire or something. Like, uh, So, but yeah, I mean, I think, is that a player type that you want to have lineups built around? No. Uh, you know, the boomer bus. We saw it with Sano. Sure. It, you're going to see it with Gallo. It can be frustrating when it goes poorly. The slumps are longer than most. Aesthetically, there are people who are never going to be fans of the high strikeout, low average slugger because they just hate strikeouts and batting average. But to have one or two of those guys in a lineup to just change games once a week with one swing, let's say, I think can be hugely valuable. And in Walner's case, when you're making the league minimum – for the next three or four years. Right. Yeah. That is the, the big difference with me with Kepler, which is like they don't need eight million. It's not like they're in a salary cap crunch like the Vikings or something like that. But is the difference between Kepler and Walner at this point anything, really, in terms of how you would project them going forward? If anything, I might project Walner better. And if the difference is eight million dollars in salary plus whatever value, minimal as it may be, you could get by trading Kepler. You sort of start to see the the writing on the wall here. So yeah. my question is just: Does this happen it's this a, season, or does this happen? Yeah, it's, in, it's a storyline to follow through this season. No question about that. So. Okay. Before we move on to some other uh, news and notes, let's talk about stamps.com. I always talk about how I uh, I used stamps.com for like months on end a few years ago. 
when I was sending out autographed copies of my book that I wrote about the twins. And uh, I turned like my living room into like a processing plant basically or an assembly line. And I had never used stamps.com before that. And the experience using it was so great. It saved me from going insane because it <laughs> saved me from having to, to make 800 right. trips a week to the post office. Right. I had my own scale. I had my. I was printing out my own postage. Yep. And you could do it in a way that you feel like you were not wasting money by just overpaying for certain postage because right. you could get real right. specific about yep. it. it. It'll give you barcodes on each package so that you can actually track the packages. So I could tell, did a book get delivered when someone asked about where it is? And it was also just super easy to use from a, a technology standpoint of you enter in a few things, you click print, you throw it on there, you can track all your, your packages, you can track your spending, you can track all that stuff. I found it to be super useful and kept me from just the busy work of constantly having to go get stamps and go to the post office and being... Right. And, and you won't believe all the stuff they give you on this. So. First of all, different promo code than usual. Usually promo code's gleaming. This time promo code is geek. Congratulations. Right? <laughs> so sign up with the promo code geek for a special offer. It includes a four week trial and free postage and a free digital scale. Yes. So no long term com- and no long term commitments or contracts or anything like that. You just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter geek. So again, that get a four week trial, free postage, and a digital scale at stamps.com and go to the top of the page and enter the code geek uh, for your special offer from Gleaming of the Geek. Okay. Um, let me see if I had any other Kepler uh, Walner notes. I had some other stuff here too. <laughs> Let's see. Um, yeah, talked about I talked about Walner. I mean, I think I looked... Uh, here's how I would describe him. Uh, 90th percentile power, 99th percentile arm strength 70th percentile speed but it takes a minute right. to kind of get rolling right. and then uh you know fifth percentile contact ability <laughs> yeah. so you we'll know see. keep that in mind as you as you watch uh him so far i think the other thing he has pretty neutral or he's shown pretty neutral platoon splits for a left-handed hitter so far hmm. which i think a lot of people would assume that a high strikeout guy would be more susceptible to lefties. Now, this is against the minor leaguers for the most part, but he does have a pretty good eye at the plate, and I think he can use – he's not just a dead pull hitter, and I actually think he's gotten a, a lot better last year uh, about using all fields. I mean, he has legit power to all fields. It's not just, you know, Kepler, like, has big-time power, but it has to be to right or right center most of the time. I think uh, Walner is more similar to Larnick in that he can go out to left center, he can go to center – uh, and I think that helps him, especially against lefties. So, and that would be nice too, because they're lacking in right-handed hitting corner right. outfielders. Yeah. They're kind of missing a Kyle Garlick right now on the roster. He's sitting down in St. Paul right, right. now, and, and he could have been to, called up. He's off to a good start. But I, I think if they were facing more left-handers, we might have had a maybe. chance of getting up here. Uh, but for the most part, they're always going to have one lefty, one more lefty in the lineup against left-handed pitchers than you would kind of like, ideally, just because they don't have enough right-handed outfield bats, and so. We know over the years that Kepler has pretty consistently struggled against lefties, yeah, and most true. lefties struggle against sure. lefties. But I think there's at least we need to find out 
if if Walner is you know able to kind of hold his own and not be a what level he's at is he right all right. lefties are going to be he, worse against know, lefties right. except for like Ichiro is he a little worse than average or is he just right. or is he helpless right. uh, the other thing I remember I definitely remember this about him in AAA I think I remember this about him in AA as well when he went up to that level. Yeah. He struggled. Yes. He struggled he initially. Like a, like, I think like, he was like one for 20 last yeah. year or something. I mean, yeah, last year in AAA, his first month yeah. at St. Paul, and then it was like a light switch flick. Yeah, he hit for the cycle, <laughs> I remember. and He, <laughs> he was, just immediately became hot as fire, right? right? So it'll be, I mean, and he you know did have some time here last year. He did spend spring training with the team and yep. get into a lot of games and, you know, face you know that level pitching. That he even the said spring yesterday, level, spring training level pitching. when we talked to him pregame, just like how much... Coming into this clubhouse for the second time, when it's not it's much more comfortable, especially when things are not uh, eroding around you in right. September, yeah. and you're all of a sudden batting fifth yeah, for weird. a team that was in first place and now is in third place and all that stuff. And like you said, he spent all spring in big league camp, and you show up and you're batting seventh, and it's like, all right, things are going reasonably well here. Maybe I can find a groove right. a little sooner. But I mean, he is that skill set is going to be susceptible to slumps. Right. Sometimes yeah. it's yeah. right away. Sometimes it's after a hot start. I mean, yeah. his, you know, a normal player's uh, two for 20 might be a two for 30 right. with a guy yeah. who just doesn't make as much contact. Uh, and you have to you so, have to so be I would, willing to live with so that. So I would suggest don't read too much if he does struggle in this, this two-week sure. trial period. Yeah. Right? Um, so we'll see. Um, okay. A few other, uh, oh, a few other lineup things, I guess. We, we're almost done here, I guess. But... Uh, we talked about it's been boomer bust. It sounds like Polanco he rehabbed again uh, Saturday and took Sunday off. I want to say he's yes, been at correct. low A Fort Myers. He's seven innings, seven on innings, played second base. Yep. Had a couple hits or a couple times on base at least in the last one. Uh, talking to the new head trainer Nick Paparesta, who I should uh, credit. We talked more about this on the Patreon which people should be subscribing to. But uh, he is a breath of fresh air uh, from a sort of information standpoint. It was very difficult at times last year, partly just because of the sheer number of injuries that they had, but partly because teams tend to be kind of secretive about this stuff. It was very difficult to get kind of straight answers or updated information about the many injuries that they had. And one of the things I tried to stress to a couple of twins officials was I know you guys think it benefits you to kind of protect injured players by not saying too much and not giving updated timelines and all that stuff. But my feeling is that in reality, it does them a disservice going back to the Joe Mauer days with the bilateral leg thing. If you don't put, make information public or you don't tell reporters and they can't write about it or, you know, radio people, whatever it is, if you leave the fan base with little to no information, they will fill in the blanks themselves. And the way those blanks get filled in is not going to always be accurate, and it's not always going to be to the team's benefit. And you start going to hear conspiracy theories and right. this player's soft and all that stuff. And so I do think teams are better off having at least one person who is able and willing to not on a day-to-day basis, but once a homestand, give a kind of state-of-the-injured list situation. And Paparesta, who's a multi-time trainer of the year in MLB, he's got a couple decades with the A's, before that with the Rays, uh, talking to him for the first time in this setting the before the first game of this homestand, 
it was great. I mean, he, it's not like he was revealing inside information about right. these guys' personal lives, but he, he would answer a question about Jorge Polanco's rehab, or he would answer a question about you know uh, Max Kepler's knee in a way that it was at least informative. Sure. And that is such a big yep. change yep. Uh, over last year for the Twins, and the case with a lot of teams. Yeah, sometimes that sometimes that is you know they're they're trying to protect the players. Sometimes it's a well, it's just from a HIPAA thing. You've got to be careful sure. what you reveal and what you don't reveal. Sure. Sometimes it's. I'm just not a particularly good communicator. Yep. You know, uh, they're just, I just not comfortable I, right. doing it. And oh, right. sometimes it's just there's been so many injuries that everyone's just sick of it. Right. That's what happened right. with Baldelli, I would well, say, last year. That's true. And so he, Baldelli, understandably, Gardenhire had the same thing at the end of his tenure with the Twins. He's sick of just spending 15 minutes a day running through injured list updates. And my point was, well, somebody that's fine, but somebody has to do that. I, so Especially far, first game of a homestead. Well, right. right. But Nick Paparesta was uh, was very good, and I I hope he can prove to be a good source of information that we can then pass on to fans in a way that kind of keeps people from having to fill in the blanks on a lot of this it's stuff. It's also clear that it it's now taken – it's significant and that it takes something off of Baldelli's plate sure. for those things. You, Baldelli doesn't want to think about the injuries because Especially, he doesn't because he wants to concentrate on today's game. He doesn't right. want to sit there and yearn for Polanco to be back so he's got a leadoff batter. He well, just wants to come up with something for the leadoff I batter. I mean, let's right? be honest. He's getting these updates in the same way that we'd be getting. Right. It's not like he's in Fort Myers. And so he's reading an email in the morning that says, hey, Jorge played six innings at second base, came out of it pretty well. Then one of us are asking, and he says to us, well, Jorge came out of it pretty well and played six. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, but. Whereas, when you ask for more information, he doesn't have it. Papa right. Resta has right. it. And right. so Papa Resta has been, you know, having phone calls with Polanco after each game. It sounds like from a health standpoint, obviously Polanco needs to avoid having another setback with the knee where it needs fluid drain and it's sore. But even assuming the knee is kind of stabilized here from a health standpoint, they just want him to get at bats because he basically missed all of spring training. Right. So they want him to get 30 or 40 at bats. The question I think at this point is, does he stay in Fort Myers, which is their com- their year long complex? It's sort of, uh, you know, twins right. south, basically. Right. Or do they move him up to St. Paul, which is, you know, 15 minutes away from Target Field, but a higher level of competition and a little more of a big league feel to it? Like a little more, of these at bats matter, and so I think that's the bigger question with Polanco. I don't think his return is imminent, but you know the maximum for a rehab assignment is twenty days, and so I think you're definitely going to see him if things continue to progress well and he doesn't get shut down. He'll end up at St. Paul at the tail end of it, certainly. In which case, the results of his at bats matter a little bit more than just getting the at bats and, I mean, and yeah. playing. Could, I mean, yeah, uh, St. Paul's on the road. This upcoming week, there would be in Indianapolis. Right. So you could see something where maybe he spends another week or something in Fort Myers yeah. and then comes back when they're back at home. Or the fact that it's going to be 70 some degrees in Indianapolis all week right. might be a reason enough to send him to Indianapolis. With uh, with Kirloff, he is not uh, a rehab assignment, is not imminent. He's in extended spring training, which is also in Fort Myers, but different than playing in games. Still trying to, you know, build up that wrist, still trying to, you know, add strength and avoid soreness, all that stuff, getting live at bats. It didn't sound like they're close as of a couple days ago to, you know, him going to on, on rehab assignment when you can s- sort of start to get an ETA on things. Um, I got, let's see, I got a Austin Martin update where they're hoping he's like two, three weeks away from uh, starting to be able to do some throwing and normal right. baseball activities. Now he needs to still avoid surgery. So 
once those two, three weeks happen and he starts to get back on the field and do some things, there's a danger that they go up. This elbow is just no good. We but, talked a little bit on the Patreon about how it's to some extent because it, Tommy John surgery takes long, less time to come back from for a position player than for a pitcher. They sort of had the luxury of being able to test right. test out rehab assignment for at least another month or so without having to worry about it impacting next year. Yeah, either, either way, way you're, either way you're losing this year. Yes, either way you're out for this year and your recovery is going to drag into the off season. So right. an extra month to see if you can avoid it is you know what they're trying to do. Uh, let's see. We'll run through a couple more uh, quick notes. So yeah, I, I would expect Polanco to return. Much sooner if he returns than Kirilov. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Buxton has played all but one game. We'll see if he's in the lineup today. Uh, phenomenal so far, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Hitting, running, no impact defensively, but that's yeah. part of the, the plan. Uh, had the three run homer, uh, just a line shot against Houston. That's how he's tend to be. They don't <laughs> they don't spend a lot of time in the air. No, they've got some velocity yeah. to them. And uh you got the uh him paying tribute to his dad with the uh the trucker uh yeah, horn, yeah. which I like. Yeah. The buck truck or whatever they're calling it. His dad was there. Oh, I did. I know almost that. asked his dad. I'm very curious. I need to find out. His dad was playing with uh the sons. And I almost asked him, Are you still a trucker? Because his dad's right. not that old. He's like no offense, but he's like your age. <laughs> uh, and John's still working, if yeah, you want to call sure. this work. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to know. My kid is not much younger than Byron Buxton. Just <laughs> right. I mean, about the same. I wanted to know when your son signs a $100 million deal and you've been a long haul trucker or whatever for your whole career, which is a tough right. job. Yeah. Uh, do you immediately quit doing that or do you actually love that job? <laughs> yeah. So maybe if I see him today, I'll I'll ask him about that. Um, Three twenty four batting average for Buxton right yeah. now. Lot, the extra base power has been there. I think five hundred slugging percentage. The quality of at bats has been there. Yep. I think you know the chances he's had to to you know let loose a little bit on the bases. He's looked pretty good. Um, you know I don't think it's eminent seeing him in center. The way they talked about it, I mean that was one of the ways they could try to replace Kepler. Right. Yeah, start Taylor in one of the corner outfield spots and Buxton back center, to center yep. a little yep. and. But I don't think that's going to happen. Baldelli essentially said, he's been so good, and we're playing him almost every day. Why are we messing with that unless we feel really confident? And so I would think May, I wondered. I wondered the same thing. We talked a little bit about this on the bumper to bumper about whether or not they ever get tempted to just say, screw it, we're just going to keep him a DH for the whole year because we know we'll keep him healthy. We think that will keep him healthy. I also thought the same thing about as Gallo got on a hot streak at first base. I know they love him in the corner outfield spots, but if – if he's hitting because and they perceive it as well, he doesn't have as much to think about because he's sitting in first base or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. I wonder if that would also be tempting at some I point. Know. I think at some point, Buxton's going to want to, of course, catch some balls. I, I, know and he I is. think Gallo talking to him yesterday, he was like, he doesn't mind playing first, and he's quite good at playing first. Right. But you talked about his arm. Right. I think he misses. Of course, uncorking a throw to right. third base once in a while. The just, one place you don't yeah. want that arm. Yeah, I mean it's similar. What, like when they moved Sano from third to first, it was like that's logical. Like I mean, he's not a great third baseman, but the right. one skill he has that's a big strength defensively is just a incredible arm. And instead of seeing that. You know, 150 times a year at third, you're going to see it 15 times a year at first. The only time you get to see that. that arm is on that three-two-four double play. Yeah, which he did start. <laughs> he started one of them, and then yeah. Solano started the other one yesterday. Uh, well, 
there was on the interference play. Yeah, all Solano also had one of the worst plays I've seen at first base. Oh my goodness! He bobbled it, and then had he just picked the ball up after bobbling it and flipped it normally to first, he would have had the runner because the runner stopped. It was a Brayu. <laughs> right. Instead, he tried to do like a no look flip pass, <laughs> and it just w- sailed over the other guy's head. And yeah. it was like, oh boy, that's one of those plays. They talk about uh, shortstops will often talk about an internal clock. Right. When you've played 20 years of shortstop in your life, where you know, based on the runner, without even looking where the runner is, I'm deep in the hole, I got to get rid of it, or I got some time here. You'll see Correa do this. (laughs) The internal clock abandoned Donovan Solano because he just thought, oh no, I just made a terrible play. I need to flip this ball behind my back to get it to first. So what happened on that play, though? It wasn't that he bobbled it, right? It was that he, he was caught in between. He thought he wanted that ball to roll foul. Right, and that's right down the line. Right, because they had runners on first and second, and they were going to end up at second and third with one out. If 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 uh, he ended up playing, he could have just picked it up and touched first base, but then the runners are going to advance. So he wants the ball to go foul. It looks like it's going to go foul. It gets all the way to the base, hits the base, and then pops up because it hits the base. It was a tricky play. I don't mean to say it wasn't a tricky. So my point is, uh, yeah, the internal clock, that internal clock, had totally abandoned by them. He'd already made a half a dozen. he had decision fatigue over about a six second, uh, right? Six and then he did the equivalent of like, right. of like uh, stepping on a rake in your front lawn, <laughs> just where your brain is just like, oh no. Right. Um, but then, yeah, they turned the uh, home to first double play because was a Kyle Tucker got hit in the elbow basically by the return throw to first because he was right. inside yes. the baseline. Right. So they called him out, and not only did they get a double play on that, but then the runners had to return to their bases, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm they had to go back to first that. and second. That's what, we had the, one of the umpire yeah. coordinators was behind us in the press box, uh, and he explained it. I was wondering that it, about it, that. It's like a dead ball, basically, so they have to go back, which is like a double penalty because those guys right. should have been on second yeah, and course. third. They were already there by the time the throw. And then Tucker also got booted from the game, right, right, yes. which is what is the <laughs> argument there? Like you were, you got hit in the elbow by a ball that the first baseman basically caught. Right. I can tell you where you were in the ba- like. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It, you weren't on third base because your elbow wouldn't have been there. Right. I don't know. It was funny. Um, let's see a few other things, and I'll get out of here. Uh, I like to hit everything for you guys. All my notes. Uh, Ryan Jeffers has thrown out three of five stolen base attempts against him so far, which you think okay, big deal. Last year he was seven out of thirty-eight. Uh, throwing up when they threw him out when they threw that out yesterday I didn't even think about the fact that that was Jeffers being on the plate Um, yeah one of two yesterday right yeah one of two yesterday and he's talked about a little bit like they tried to kind of smooth out his mechanics a little bit he's never going to be you know Johnny Bench back there but he's a good pitch framer the pitcher seemed to like working with him if you can just get his arm to you know palatable levels uh it at least stops teams from going nuts on the bases, which we're seeing quite a few, yeah. including the White. I looked today. The White Sox are 13 for 13 stealing bases. Really? You know what the Twins are so far? 0 for 0? No. Close. <laughs> 0 for 1? I know they'd be better that way. They're 1 for 3. Okay. Uh, Michael Taylor has a steal. Will, Willie Castro was thrown out, and then Walner oh, was, got picked back <laughs> picked picked, yeah, back yeah, yesterday, yeah. which counted as a caught stealing. Um I am going to predict. Is that, is that counted as a caught stealing because the ball comes from the catcher? No, it counts because he broke for a second and then went back. I think. I think it's the runner. Yeah, okay. Like the moment, like where's the runner okay. trying to. I was wondering to know that as I was having it. Like, yeah, it was. I don't know what the F was going on. It was a quick post game, so I didn't have a chance to. Maybe I'll ask today, but like he wasn't trying to steal there. No. 
I don't think it was a hit and run. That would have been a real strange on a – I think it was the first pitch. I think he was bet. just trying to get a couple more steps in case there was a uh, – Yeah, my worry is just he just sort of zoned out a little bit mm-hmm. and just, you know, they backpicked him. Um, my perception is that Jose Miranda is hitting the ball much better than his batting average. I agree with you. He's had a couple hard hit balls get caught. He's had yes. a couple go foul that yep. would have changed some games. Yep. And he's had some big hits so far. And so I'm just going on record here that I think he'll have a good couple of weeks here. I am waiting up. for him to heat up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, My perception is that Nick Gordon is not hitting the ball better than his batting average. No, although, average yeah, right I don't now. even think he's struck out yet. But, yeah, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't looked great, and they could definitely use that as a left-handed bat. Um, they got rid of their uh, experiment. They, they gave up on having a left-hander. Left-handed uh, lead-off hitter, seemingly, versus right-handed yeah. pitching. Yeah, well, they're just out of – I mean, right. if you thought Kepler was a weird choice, right. Gallo I mean, when, 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 or when, Walner, when Kepler's hurt and Gordon is right. bad or, or struggling, yeah. I will just say. Uh, we should. I guess we can finish on this, but it's an interesting little, uh, little thing, which is Gallo on opening day in Kansas City might have been his first at-bat of the season hit a hard ground ball between first and second and it got past the infield and it got oh, into the yeah, outfield. Yeah, 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 right. Where right. the right fielder, who's actually a catcher playing right field, MJ Melendez for the for the Royals. Right. The right fielder was shifted about, I don't know, what would you say? Twenty five feet further in than a normal right fielder would be. Oh, I would like say that. deeper closer than that. I mean, yeah, it was maybe he was where the second baseman used to play during the shift. Right. The yeah, last five right. years That's where you right. would often right. see a second yeah. baseman Short play a left-handed. Right. Right. Short right field or deep second, however you want right. to say that. And the ball went right to him, which would have been a single in the 80s or the 90s because right. he hit it past the second baseman. But Melendez was there in right field, scooped it up you know, perfectly, kind of drew back his arm to throw him out at first base, and then dropped the ball. And Gallo ran through the base, and he was safe. And immediately they called that an error. Right. Um, and my thought at the time was. Yeah, that's an error. No, I, I really? thought the opposite, which is how can there be an error on what would have been a 9-3 put out? Like just logically. Do you know what I mean? I mean that's not a normal. Because the, 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 one mean, of the definitions th- of an error is was it a routine play not made? But like it, it was, was a routine error play not made. Not a he, he, just play. Was, he just wasn't. He just wasn't in a routine position, but it was a routine play. You know what I mean? For like a guy fifty feet into the outfield to throw a guy out at first base, I d- there was no question in my mind that he if he picks that ball up cleanly and throws it to first base. Gallows out. See, I think it would have been at best a bang bang. Play. Okay, all right, okay. Um, but that's sort of separate. But my thought was, and this, by the way, is why I think the Royals are stupid for positioning him like that. right. Yes, uh, but okay. If, yeah, if, you, if you're not going to get him anyway, then why have him? There? Correct. Right. I okay. mean, I right. thought that as soon as I saw it, I'm like, this is the dumbest of both worlds. Like, this is not anything. Either shift or don't, but right. this is not, this is minimizing all your ability to make outs on plays. But I think if he would have been another 15 feet in or 10 feet in, where you can more realistically call okay. it deep second right. okay. as opposed to short right, okay. then you could sort of convince me. I mean, that's a play like Polanco made at times last right. year. Sure. But he was deeper than that. Okay. And I mean, you do. I'd have to take a look at and, the play again. And here's the other thing I thought of, which is like, I remember this was a thing with Ichiro during his career because he's incredibly fast. You do have to account for the speed of a base runner when you're evaluating sure. whether a play for like a third baseman is an error. Sure. Because if Albert Pujols hits a line, uh, you know, a sharp two-hopper to third, and the third baseman uh, bounces it over there, 
it's an error because you could have walked it over there for for Albert Pujols. But if Ichiro hits a uh, you know a uh, two hopper to third, and the guy knows his internal clock, right. knows sure. I got to get this ball over there in a hurry. Right. Well, I'd be less prone to call it an error because it's an e- Ichiro has created the situation. Sure. Right. So I would flip that for this type of play, and I would say, look. First of all, it's a right fielder. It's not a second baseman. Yeah. And it's a slow-footed catcher who's probably never made that play in his life as a second baseman. I do think you have to factor that in. So this is a long way of saying Saturday, the, well, first of all, MLB announced that that, play had been, that call had been overturned. Right. The error that Twins was- Twins made a case that it was right. actually a hit. The error had been changed into a single for Gallo. His batting average went from like 225 to 278 or something like that. <laughs> And it, we found out the past couple of days talking to people, including Gallo, the twins basically agreed with what I was saying and built a case for Gallo that they then sent into the league office as an appeal. And you have to present data. You have to present video. You have to present sort of comparable plays that you can show that were called in the way you're right. presenting yeah. it. And they also wanted to show that it's been a really long time since those plays were made. It's only... A nine three put out with a guy, you know, midway between deep second and and right. Uh, short right is only a thing right now because of the shift limitations. Because right. there was no reason to have to play your right, right. fielder that way; you just play your second baseman that way. And so, what they needed to do was go back in baseball history and find out how rare that type of play a nine three put out would have been. And so, you think, well, what would you use to do that? Well, you'd use StatHead, right? Which they're an advertiser, but I would say this anyway, which used to be the Baseball Reference Play Index. And then you think it'd be really good to kind of have an in at at the baseball reference play index. <laughs> and then they thought, actually, let's get the guy who built the baseball <laughs> reference play index. And lucky for us, he's he a team employee. Right. Uh, Hans was in it? Yes. Uh, Hans, oh, that's cool. Hans von Sluten, <laughs> who is, I'd say, a friend of the podcast. Yeah, he, also, used to be. I, he used to listen to the podcast. I know, but he used to come to events and stuff. <laughs> now he's a little too good for us. But uh, I just saw him the other day. Tremendous the twins, so. guy, yeah, first of all. Good. Um, with a lovely family that we've gotten to know over the years, uh, a, a genius developer yeah. and like you know, database guy. database builder, yep. and so he literally was the I think chief developer for the Baseball Reference Play Index, which is now Stathead. And in 2018, the Twins hired him away to kind of build their database and information system, and so he got credit from Baldelli. <laughs> which you have not lived until you've heard Rocco Baldelli oh, shout funny. out the nerds in the front office uh, uh, and say, well, Hans von Sluten, really, because that's a, first of all, a great name. Um, and so I asked Hans, and he's like, yeah, it became a whole like Slack thing where we were spending hours that's on funny. Slack. All the brain power, Nick Bochamp, who's another uh, front office guy, and a few other people were working on it, and they built a case for Gallo. And then it was very funny to then talk to Gallo about it and say like, did they present you with this hit? And he said, no, but they knew how excited I would be about it because I rarely get singles. <laughs> and they were very excited about it too because I think what gave Baldelli a thrill about it was he likes the idea of being the precedent now for future plays like that, now that the shift limitations okay. are going to cause that. And it's like the it's like the the, law, the potential lawyer in him comes out, and he's like, "Well, now it could be the Gallo rule or something like that." <laughs> yeah. yeah right, so, right, right. but Dan asked Gallo yesterday when we were talking to him, like, "Are you surprised this happened?" And he said, "What I'm not surprised about is that it was me as the hitter, because <laughs> weird stuff happens to me for my whole career." All the time. And I was like, "Yeah, that is uh, that is the case." So, overturned. 
he said, you know, after the year I had last year, it's nice to look up and see 278 instead of 230 <laughs> right. uh, or whatever like that. But, yeah, I do think it's going to be very interesting to see if this does establish precedent because we're going to see that play more this season than we've probably seen it combined sure. in the history of baseball just because there was no reason to align your defense that way before 10 days ago or whatever. So, yeah, I thought that was a, a weird little behind the scenes. There's a lot of cases where – a player will be unhappy with the official scores decision and will sort of not confront, but will sort of push for it, sometimes even face to face with the scorer. Uh, Josh Donaldson had an issue with a play. Kenta a couple years ago thought there was an, uh, a hit that should have been an error that would have taken four runs off his ERA and all that. But I feel like the whole team sort of. Uh, uniting for a cause here. <laughs> had a, it was an interesting sure. component of it. It was yeah. like, yeah, we, let's get Joe Yellow a hit. Let's establish that this should always be a hit in these situations. And also, let's just get the satisfaction of actually winning an appeal against MLB, which is uh, not the easiest thing to do uh, just in general because you can make the best case in the world and they might just go, nah. It's not like it's an independent arbitrator right. arbiter who's like looking at this stuff. So yeah, uh, Joey Gallo, as he said, guy like me doesn't get that many hits. <laughs> to get one on a day I wasn't even playing, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, and you know, so so often players, it's nice to get that hit early in the season. Yes, because you know that heat that hit being added to your total in July doesn't change your batting average that much changing it here in April yeah can no, change the perception considerably when you're but, looking up there and the thing starts with a one or worse a zero on the batting average I think that can weigh on you honestly I'll be very interested to see if Gallo when Gallo comes back from this if yeah. he's coming back from this uh, whether it, whether it's when he could gets to New York <laughs> well, we and he gets to show up to New York with you, a 278 batting average were you in average. their pregame Yesterday? No, I okay. got there just we asked him about that. Yesterday. This was kind of yeah. off the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just chatty, but he said because we were wondering, like, are they going to try to do like a, a formal media session right. with all the New York reporters because they're all going to write about him coming back? Right. Obviously, he's a talking point. Uh, and he was like, "Oh, you th- you think they're going to want to do that?" And he, <laughs> I thought, really had a mature response, at least to us when we were asking about it, and said, "Look." I'm going to get booed by 50,000 people there. I sucked in New York. It was terrible. I hated sucking. I wanted nothing more than be good in that circumstance, and I was the worst. And he said, but how many people? It's a, it's a life experience. I'm going to go to New York. They're going to boo me. 50,000 people are going to call me names. Hopefully, I'm playing, and I hit a homer, or we win, or whatever. And either way, I'm going to come home from there, and life is going to go on, and I'll be able to look back at that and be like, well, that's a unique – like he said, right. weird stuff happens to yep, me. This yep. is going to be a weird uh, – him and Correa are going to get booed in New York, and it's going to be interesting to see who gets booed louder, I guess. When but. the Yankees came to visit the Twins at Hammond Stadium, he you know, he, he would come up to bat and get booed. Yeah. <clears throat> and then Aaron Hicks would come up to bat and get booed. And I was like <laughs> – you know, and, I'm, and I'm like – I just wish Josh Donaldson would have made this trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so both both crowds could have could have booed him. People are gonna run out of <laughs> voice. They're booing so much. I will I will just say, and we'll, we will finish on this. But uh, talking to Joey Gallo yesterday was the longest I talked to him, just kind of informally about some stuff. But talking to him during spring a couple times. Uh, great guy. Uh, and I don't mean like he's a he's a saint or anything. Right. But what I mean is like. Very good sense of humor, very good awareness of the things as a player that people criticize him for, 
very good kind of self-awareness of, yeah, they're going to boo me in New York. I sucked there. You know what I mean? There are some players you go like, you talk to them and they just, uh, they seem so unaware of how people perceive them. And I, uh, I find it so much better when you don't have to tiptoe around a guy and I even said to him like stuff about strikeouts where normally I would try to word it differently because right. I'd be afraid he'd go, what do you mean I strike out a lot? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I'd be like, if I hit 180. I'll be, and I just thought, okay, this is a guy who it, it, it in a weird way makes me more confident that there is a, a bounce back sure. in him because he's not in denial about the problems right. or the effect of the problems or how people perceive the problems. And I feel like that's, yep. I don't know, a little bit more... There's a little bit more space for him to have it click again when in his mind – now, he could be an overthinker and if you're getting booed and all that stuff, but I don't know. That can take a toll on your confidence. So far – There is something to be said for being obliviously confident. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But so far, I mean, he's been good for the Twins. Obviously, he needs to come back from this injury sooner than later, but I don't know. I think if he can get on a roll for the Twins, I think he's going to be a very impactful, fun-to-watch player on the field, but I think if – if things are going well for him, sustained going well for him, I think the personality that will come through could make him a, a pretty quick fan favorite in sort of the opposite way it was in New York where right, people yeah, really right. wanted to embrace him and he hit 160 and he made right. it impossible. Okay, I have to shut up. You have to go. I've missed the clubhouse start. <laughs> I, I will be uh, I will it's be okay. cleaning up this stuff no, for you. Okay. Uh, thank you time. to our uh, sponsors, Forgotten Star. Get there and uh, enjoy beer in the uh, sunshine. Native, take care of your skin. That's the promo code Gleek, uh, Geek. Raycon, also the promo code Geek. Uh, stamps.com. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Native is the promo code Gleeman. Raycon is also the promo code Gleeman. John, Stamps is Geek way. and Gleeman twenty uh, for uh, back for the uh, <laughs> for the. Um, we'll be back uh, Sunday, Wednesday, Wednesday with a mailbag. Yeah, we haven't done a mailbag for a while. And then Friday we'll be doing another free episode. Yeah, so two free episodes this week, one Patreon, right. and then we will be back to sort of our Fridays for free podcasts and Monday and Wednesday with Patreon. So you want to oh, get Oh, f- Wednesday. It's going to be real early in the morning. It's a noon game. Okay. Yeah. We got to talk about that then. If you want uh, to listen to our midweek episodes, go to P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. We'll do usually one or two midweek episodes, mailbags, guests, breakdowns of actual games and series and any news that pops up. We would love to have you join us in our little uh, private club for Twins Talk, patreon.com. Slash Gleeman, and if you have zero interest in joining that, we will uh, talk to you again on the show on Friday. <laughs>